Pastor, I guess this is a picture of what the chosen few actually means. Huh? <laughs> um, I also wanted to uh, mention a couple things. In the um, note you got this morning, it said it was a sermon by me, but I'd like to ask your permission to downgrade it to just a message. I don't have a sermon coat. I'm up here speaking as just another one of the lay members of the church. Um, I hope I have some good words for you today. And also I'd like to mention one other thing, well, kind of related. Happy birthday to Brenda. Congratulations. And in only two days, I'll be saying happy birthday to Hannah. And in, in those two days, 12 years ago, that little character right there made me miss what could have potentially been my very first Father's Day. You see, my lovely wife went into labor on Father's Day on Sunday, but couldn't deliver, quote-unquote, until Monday morning. So I had to wait the entire year to get my first Father's Day. So I'm looking for a present out of you. Okay, that's about as long as you can wait. Well, I titled the message, Does Father Know Best? And it's capitalized with the F because it's in the title of a message. And by the time I get done, you'll have to decide, did I really mean a little F or did I mean the capital F? But you might wonder, how did Father's Day start? I kind of wondered. I thought I'd take a little look around the web to see what kind of stories were out there. I was most curious if it was a conspiracy by Hallmark just to sell more cards. But from the website answerbag.com, they said Sonora Dodd of Washington first had the idea of a Father's Day. She thought of the idea for a Father's Day while listening to a Mother's Day sermon in 1909. Sonora wanted a special day to honor her father, William Smart. Smart, who was a Civil War veteran, was widowed when his wife died while giving birth to their sixth child, Mr. Smart was left to raise the newborn and his other five children by himself on a rural farm in eastern Washington state. After Sonora became an adult, she realized the selfishness that her father had shown in raising his children as a single parent. It was her father that made all the parental sacrifices and was, in the eyes of his daughter, a courageous, selfless, and loving man. Sonora's father was born in June, so she chose to hold the first Father's Day celebration in Spokane, Washington on the 19th of June, 1910. On your birthday, Hannah. President, Coo President Calvin Coolidge, all the way up into 1924, supported the idea of a National Father's Day. It took until 1966 for then-President Lyndon Johnson to sign a presidential proclamation declaring the third Sunday of June as Father's Day. So what does it take to be a good father nowadays? Let's try to discover a few ideals of the good dad. First, I can say definitely it is more than just procreation. Of course, this is required to be a dad in the first place. It took creation to create the first children as we see in Genesis. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. 128. God blessed them. God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth on the earth. That phrase, be fruitful and multiply, appears in the Bible seven times. It was spoken by God at creation, 
first on day five to the animals, and then we, as we just read, on day six to man. It was also spoken to Noah in the book of Genesis, Genesis 8.16. Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth, and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. Genesis 9.1, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth. Genesis 9.7, And you be ye fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. The next time in the Bible we see this phrase is from Jacob to Isaac, to Jacob from Isaac. Genesis 28.1, And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, and God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee blessings of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land whereas thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. So families should inhabit the earth by God's very design. In general, I will just say that most men I have met don't have a big, idea, big problem with the idea of procreation. Right, Eric? And I will just leave it at that. As Forrest Gump said, and that's all I have to say about that. Perhaps the second most famous father that you'll hear about is Abraham. There's even a child's song about it. And even if you wanted to, once you have heard it a few times, you'll never get that song out of your head. I think you know which song I mean. So I want the kids to help me sing this. Gary, you'll find out why I'm not in the choir shortly. Right? Everybody know this song? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. And on with the hands and the feet and the chin and turn around and sit down. The picture I want to share with you today about Abraham is also from the book of Genesis chapter 22. 22, 22.9, And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order You'll find out why this is difficult in a minute. And bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon thy lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. I have thought of this image many times in my life as a father, trying to reconcile what it actually meant to me. After all, in this day and age, I don't think any parent would think of sacrificing their child. Do I think there is a strong spiritual... But I do think that there is a strong spiritual meaning here And that is the idea of ownership. Do you own your own children? 
After all, you spend all your time, your resources raising them, a huge investment to be sure. If you are here today, you probably have concerns about living the good Christian life and raising your children. I think this picture of Abraham shows me that I am just a caretaker in this process. I do have mighty responsibilities to do the best job at being a father that I can, but ultimately the fact is that my children belong to God. He is their ultimate father. The best thing I can do as a dad is to demonstrate to my children just who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and why this blessed trinity is so important to their lives. Okay, I've already covered procreation. What are some other P words that I could come up with to apply to a father? A father should provide. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. In that particular part of the Bible, he's actually talking about widows and taking care of them. But I think in general, all fathers are, care, are called to care for their families, both older and younger. We must do everything in our power to, to provide for their daily life. A couple other P's that I won't take the time to go into today, but when I see a good dad, I often think of the word perseverance, of the word patience, even the word persuasion. Sometimes we have to persuade our children to do the right thing. But I will expand on my next one, and that is a father should protect. Protection of one's children is probably one of the greatest concerns that any father has. But protection from what? You want to keep them safe from harm, protect them from evil. On the one hand, you want to provide for them a safe passage through this life, yet on the other, you know that a trouble-free life is something that you cannot provide. Perhaps the next best thing is to teach them how to deal with the troubles, with the evils that will come their way. Well, how do you do that? Obviously, a Christian upbringing is what we are all hoping for to keep the worldly wolves away from our door. Going to church once or twice a week, should that cover it? We have a great church here, and we are truly blessed. Never forsake coming to church. But is that alone enough? How about a Christian education, Brother Dalton? I must mention here I am a bit biased. My girls have only known the Berean Baptist Christian Academy. If you want to say something that will drive Brother Jim Andrews absolutely nuts, it would be to say, my children don't need to go to a Christian school. After all, they're going to learn the bad stuff anyway. I can't tell you how many parents have told me things similar to that. Or perhaps it's this little gem. I'm afraid my kids will be too sheltered. They need to learn the way the world works. My apologies to Brother Lino, but those kind of comments make me want to go postal. (laughs) The best thing I can do for my children is to keep their innocence for as long as possible to allow their future, mature, Christ-centered brains to catch up with the reality of the wicked world 
so that they will have the tools necessary to deal with the decisions that they will be facing. I could write an entire other message called What's Wrong with Innocence? For some reason, the world we see out today thinks it is their duty to take away your child's innocence. Don't let them do it. Do your children a favor. Help them mature properly, slowly, and with a solid Christian foundation. You don't throw them into the deep water and see if they will float. Give your children all the Christian resources you can now because their physical maturity is always trying to outpace their mental maturity. You must give them reasoning skills and have them a chance to catch up. So I think Christian school is great, but is it enough? So now with apologies to George W., another thing that might trigger me to go nuclear is the way you say that word, not nuclear. Comments like, how can I teach my children absolute right and wrong when I'm condemned to not live right anyway? After all, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Fathers, parents, please hear me. Your inability to live a perfect life does not excuse you from teaching your children's morality. Your inability to be perfect does not take away your responsibility to teach your children right from wrong. Children hear me. The fact that your parents are not perfect should just prove to you that your hope in eternity is Jesus Christ himself. When parents and children have right relationships, both sides see that life through Jesus is the eternal hope of this world. Don't look to your parents and think that since they weren't perfect, why should I even try? Look to your Holy Father and follow his examples. Although, as a side note, have you ever thought, you know, it must have been easier for Jesus to be perfect because, after all, he wasn't married and didn't have kids? I, I wonder that sometimes. So what's the best way to, to teach your children about Christ? We're coming to church. We're going to Christian school. The best way, live it every day at home. The parents are the ultimate teachers and examples of Christ's goodness. Teach your children about God's grace, his compassion and forgiveness. Also, teach them about God's sovereignty and power as a healthy fear of the Lord is something that is not, wi not widely taught these days. It is okay to set rules and boundaries and make sure you are following the ones that God has set for you. Yes, protection could be the biggest P word of all. Aren't you saying by being here today that you want to protect your children from an eternity spent in hell, an eternity in separation from all things good? Okay, that's the heavy stuff. On to a new thought. Being a dad of only girls, I often think of this. Are dads of only girls, only boys, and mixed boys and girls different? As a father of only girls, I can only give you my first-hand observations. The father of girls has the responsibility to show their daughters how a good male-female relationship should work. 
the father can demonstrate to their daughters how they should be treated by boys and by men. A father who has a proper relationship with their mom does a lot more by his actions than he ever could by his words alone. Opening the car door, pulling out their seat, being attentive are things that men should not only do with their wives, but also make a point to demonstrate to their daughters. The fathers of girls also have the responsibility to interview the boys who might be coming to visit their daughters at that appropriate age. You've probably all heard the various stories of what fathers would do when a boy would come to call. Things such as cleaning the shotgun, stuff like that. I have a friend at work who tells me the story this way. One day the boy would come over and he answered the door holding a shovel. After inviting the boy in, it was only a matter of time before the young lad asked them, why are you holding the shovel? To which he replied, I'm digging a hole in the backyard. Only a matter of moments, the boy would think about it and say, well, what is the hole for? To which he replied after a dramatic pause, that's where you're going if my daughter doesn't come home on time and in the same condition she left in. So, I'm counting on you fathers of boys to teach them the right way to be around us fathers of girls. What are we looking for in our family relationships? After all, we're talking about fathers. Mothers have had their day. Why do we work so hard at making our families good? I can sum it up in two words, unconditional love. Children want it from their fathers and their mothers. Parents want it back from their children. We all want it, and we can all get it from Jesus Christ. Fathers, teach this to your children from Deuteronomy 4.27. And the Lord shall scatter you among all the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods, the works of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. That's our worst fear, right? Our kids are scattered and not serving the true God. Deuteronomy 4.30 When thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God, and shalt be obedient to his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swore unto them. Yes, teach your children that God will never forsake them. So on this Father's Day, I'm going to borrow one of the kids' phrases. Heard it 20 times if I've heard it once. Who's your daddy? I don't know if this father myself knows best, but I know there is my heavenly father who does. If I will take my time, my talent, my energy to display this Christ fatherhood to my children then I have served them and myself to the glory of Christ. Teach them the lessons you learned here at church. 
You have such a wonderful teaching from Pastor Brother Dalton and the other men who speak. Live these lessons every day, and you'll teach them all over again to your children. So in closing, if you have a father here today who was a good father, then thank him. If you had a father who was a bad father, please forgive him. For the majority of the fathers out there probably need to do some of both. But for your holy father, who gives you life and love for all eternity, praise his holy name. Amen.